Hello and welcome to the 156th episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson, a writer, director, and producer, and I'm delighted to be welcomed on the show, live from his house. It is incredible <laughs> producer, Robbie McCain. Hello. Oh, I'm welcoming you, am I? That's, that's, uh, uh, that's interesting. Yes, into your house. <laughs> okay. Lovely. Welcome. Uh, how are you, Robbie? You all right? I'm very well, yeah. Yeah, staying safe in these kind of crazy, difficult times. But uh, yeah, I know we have to. We have to. Mm. Let's get back to that. Let's talk about this week's guest first of all, which is Lorcan Finnegan. Yeah, uh, he's a director and just all-round great guy. You managed to sit down and have a lovely chat with him. Tell us about this week's episode coming up. I did. Yeah, I mean, this is an interview we did um, back last year actually, because we managed to catch his film Vivarium at the London Film Festival uh, mm-hmm. yeah yes because it stars Imogen Poots Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg, Eisenberg yeah absolutely wow and what it's a, a kind of it's... black mirror sort of social sci-fi yeah it's a real mind bender and uh, it's out now I believe on uh, on demand yeah. platforms so you can check it out so he worked he went from shorts then he made a feature film called Without Name mm-hmm. and then he went straight into making Vivarium with these big huge talent i mean what a leap right does he do do you go into details with him we do yeah we cover his sort of path from shorts to like his first feature to vivarium and talk about how his style developed and how he kind of uh yeah basically um yeah how, how he was able to leverage the sort of success of each project and to to jump to the next stage basically and um Amazing. yeah he's very he's a very chill guy actually you'll you'll see in the interview but he's sort of he's very he downplays it quite a lot <laughs> but um oh, cool but yeah he's when i wasn't there insight. yeah you were yes. this is whilst you were filming arthur and merlin correct there you go yeah yes. and what's the story it on was. that giles have you got an update <laughs> yes i have we have i uh, thank you robbie for asking uh, we have literally just um pretty much handed it in so this time tomorrow which is technically today because when you're listening to it um we'll have handed in arthur and merlin knights of camelot Amazing. to signature and to film mode and how exciting is that so yeah. just last couple of days been scrambling getting everything together jeet and lucinda have been brilliant getting all that tidied up and with our amazing um post-production team and and it's we've finished wrapped it all up now and it will be out in july apparently if all goes to plan Amazing. hey things are changing all the time right now which is scary speaking of which uh, the make your film event which didn't happen last week obviously because of the coronavirus but what myself and dom and robbie have decided to do is do an online summit for you a make your film online summit uh, how exciting is that it's pretty exciting giles the format may have changed but the color of the guests is the same and this is this is not um putting it in the way of like our events as soon as we can all get back out there we are gonna do that and hopefully some of these guests will join us join us there as well but it is next monday or this monday uh the 6th of april we are gonna be in april very soon um so come join us it's online so anyone around the world listening to this and anyone who fancies sees it anywhere uh, obviously if you're not listening to this then that doesn't make any sense <laughs> um but, <laughs> but it is next monday it is the sixth so come find us uh, the link will be in the show notes um and at the moment 
I think we might have to charge a nominal fee of a quid only because that's one pound um, because it does cost quite a bit and I think you have to pay something to do it but we wanted so to keep it as almost free as possible <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the guests we have uh, we have the fantastic Christy Wilson Cairns from 1917 she's, she's going to so be great. there and you can ask her questions uh, you can put questions in a little box and then we pick out the best ones or you all guys up upvote them and um, we also have finn glynn the producer of mad to be normal nice. jack binder the uh, oscar nominated producer of first reformed and we have colin gowdy the editor of star wars rogue one oh, and colin. what we're gonna do i know is going to detail <laughs> about pre-production about scripting about getting your project ready for when the time is right so we're going into detail about development so if you have a project that is in development which everyone does i imagine then come join us uh, like i say links in the show notes it's going to be great that's next monday the 6th um yeah be all over twitter as well so just click the link come join us it's going to be ace yeah fun miss right and you don't even have to leave your house it's great <laughs> i know even better because you can't anyway you're not allowed and you shouldn't <laughs> There you go. Unless you're going for a jog or taking the dog for a walk. <laughs> have you heard Mark Strong's um, voiceover for it? No, I haven't. I love it. You know, the government adverts saying, <laughs> do not leave your home. That's Mark Strong. That's our man. That's our boy. How great is that? Yeah, it's so um, apt that he, he is the voice of um, authoritative <laughs> kind of safe, safety precaution control. It is. Yeah. It is. Wash your hands. <laughs> And also, we have some shout-outs this week. Some lovely people have messaged about last week's episode and the weeks before. Thank you so much to listen to Diane and Paul Knight's um, escapades about how they made a film for eight, 10 grand in eight days. I mean, that's pretty impressive. The film's out now. It's done really well. That's called 24 Little Hours. Go check it out. But listen to the podcast about how to do that. But shout-outs this week to Kelly Jubilee, um, Seb Cox, Claire B., um, 3T on Twitter Simon Cox um, Victor Rios Michael Gorman Keith Gwynn and Mo Wani and the team who have their uh, Indiegogo campaign going now for their film Immune which they'd kind of set up before all this COVID nonsense happened, but it's about a pandemic. An author or authoritarian government hunts those who are immune to the virus. And it's a sci-fi thriller. Um, do click the link there and help if you can. They're halfway to their goal and they finish in 18 days. So they're doing really, really well. Yeah, Robert McFarlane and Leslie Ann McFarlane. Yeah, who you've worked with the guys before. Yeah, Robbie, Robbie. he's a good guy, Rob. Uh, so definitely check out his his campaign and back it if you can so there you go so do support that if you can and finally robert you want to ask me something yeah giles um tell me more about the dare what's going on what's the what's the update ah, what's yeah. the status update on the dare thank you robert yes um the dare is doing really well we're still in the top of the itunes charts for uh, america and canada so if you're in those two places do go check it out it is available we're getting i can't believe the reviews um over the moon with the response from the fans if you like your horror if you like it visceral if you like it gory if you like it out there and psychological please go check it out and if you do give it a nice review um online that honestly means the world to us and serial killer's guide to life is also out as well so if you like your horror a little bit more funny um a bit more comedy to it then a serial killer's guide to life is for you so uh two films there I've been hearing it's uh, getting a lot of love in the Netherlands, the dare. Um, is that right? It did really well yeah. in Holland, yeah. Yeah, yeah cinemas apparently did 
packed out business. Those, those Dutch horror fans, yeah. <laughs> Don't underestimate there they are. I love them. you all. We'll find out some more news soon about where it is also going to be released. So do check out our Twitter at The Dare. Um, are you surviving, Robbie, through all this, by the way? I am surviving, yes. Uh, you know, I I'm, mean, properly, I'm, because it's hard. Yeah, it's... I mean, uh, like, are you <laughs> dying in a corner right now, <laughs> pretending? No, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to be healthy and well and um you know i'm very thankful for that it's it's a weird situation like having to you know go out and shopping for food is a completely different experience i imagine most people who uh make films probably have the same thing where they they look at these situations that are typically you're so used to being very ordinary and they're suddenly a bit more surreal and loaded with kind of tension uh, because of the current situation mm. and you can't help but sort of thinking and let, letting your imagination run wild a bit but um but yeah it's obviously still very important to stay safe everyone and yeah maintain the whole, maintain social distancing and all of that uh, right. let's listen yeah. to mark strong maintain social <laughs> distancing um, at the moment i'm having to do a lot of remote work doing, doing a lot of editing based stuff i know a lot mm -hmm. of people are directors are typically they're now doing things like storyboarding and other sort of tasks which are a bit more you can do remotely how's it affecting you um interesting i've i feel like i haven't stopped because we had to deliver king arthur um at knights of camelot and i had still had loads of stuff to do on the dare i'm still editing uh, little clips up now for socials and stuff like that i feel and i had scripts to write and deliver at a certain time so i've had actually no time at all it's been i've been i feel like i've been busier than normal all i have done is just not leave the house to go to meetings there i've had them online or i've you know so my time has been really full on so next week and the week after i'm kind of thinking that's when it might hit me a bit more mm. but i've found that especially with scripting and all that sort of stuff a lot of people are just cracking on they're sort of going well I'm going to use this time wisely and I'm going to create my packs and my uh, mood reels Absolutely. and get the script properly tight and do your budgets and all that. So when the time comes, when you can go out there, you're ready. And that's, I suppose, what the Make Your Film Online Summit will be about, is making sure you're ready for those moments. But that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm getting myself ready. Um, so I'm not stopping. I haven't stopped yet. Amazing. And I think that is kind of a good thing yeah. in my mind. You've got to maintain but, that momentum and... Do do yeah. this is it's it's almost like a in some ways uh, obviously if you're if you're well and healthy and you're working inside it's in some ways it's a gift because you're 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 now forced to be able to do some of these things like writing or developing that script mm -hmm. you always wanted to or developing some of those concepts you wanted to um, maybe doing some work submitting things entering competitions all of that kind of thing um, supporting yeah. other people's crowdfunding campaigns you know. All of this stuff mm, where mm, you may be too busy in your ordinarily your ordinary um, yep. work pattern to do, you can now you you can now do. So I would yeah treat treat it as a gift almost, um, even though it's obviously. Yeah, I think we have to. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, the best thing yeah. you can do if you're still working under these conditions. Absolutely, yeah, and that's great advice. So should we get to it? Let's do it. This yeah, episode without further ado. Lorcan Finnegan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My interview, Mister. This is a Lorcan Finnegan, director of Vivarium. I'm delighted to be joined by Lorcan Finnegan. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How's it going? Yeah, all right. What have you been up to today? Uh, doing press for Vivarium. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I just flew. I got in from Sitges. Um, we were screening there. The other day, so we just flew in from Barcelona um, late last night. The flight was delayed, so literally just got up and started doing press again. 
Awesome. And uh, of course, we're in the middle of the London Film Festival. Um, mm. Have you had a chance to actually see anything? No, I literally just got in um, late last night and started doing press this morning. So, And I'm leaving to go to Busan in Korea tomorrow morning at around like the horrible time. I think we have to get up at about five or something. That sounds pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, getting up really early <laughs> or going to Busan. What festival is that for? Um, that is, it's a South Korean festival. It's kind of like the South it's kind of the Asian cam, basically. Mm. They have, it's like the biggest uh, festival in Asia. Yeah. So it's our Asian premiere. And you're not going to be getting a train to Busan, are you? Unfortunately not, actually. <laughs> I'd love to. And that would be cool. of the zombie film. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, it got us an interconnecting flight from Seoul down to Busan in an hour or something, but a train would have actually been awesome. <laughs> you could have relived the movie. Yeah. That's good. Awesome. Well, well, today we're going to talk about Vivarium, your new film. And we're also going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how you started, how you got going and mm. your, your first film, of course, without name. I think first off the bat, like I've seen Vivarium and one of my favorite kind of new genres is this kind of emerging like social thriller, soft sci-fi kind of or normcore sci-fi, where it's sort of near future, <laughs> right? but you're not going totally overboard with the sci-fi. And this has become kind of quite popular with things like Black Mirror and stuff yeah. and Get Out and a lot of these kind of things like that. Yeah. And your work kind of is like putting a different spin on that sort of genre. It's part of this sort of nest of, you know, different sort of subgenres of that, that kind of sci-fi yeah, that are yeah. coming out. I don't think that's necessarily a new uh, thing. It's more like a resurgence of an older thing yeah, like yeah. Uh, more 60s 70s like um, a twilight zone thing you think yeah, yeah yeah like um where people would be talking about socio-political ideas mm. but through a sci-fi story yeah um, as a way of talking about what's going on in the world you know um so that kind of was popular and that kind of died out and now it, i guess just culturally there's a need for it again is that something you sort of identify with a lot with your work, you know, in terms of channeling that? Because obviously, you're, I think with both of these films, mm. they're both sort of similar in the sense that it's a seemingly normal setup, but then kind of slowly unravels to become a very, yeah. something very creepy and supernatural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they're both, they're both very different, but they're both kind of um, like without name, I suppose, could be... Um, could be interpreted as a sort of eco horror or like uh, environmental horror because of mm. some of the, the ideas and themes in it. And um, and Vivarium is definitely a kind of um, there's a lot of metaphor in there about the, the social contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the state of yeah living today. Mm. Um, can you tell me about how you got going in the first place with like some of your early shorts? Mm. Um, what was your kind of like route into the industry? Yeah, I mean, I studied graphic design originally, and um, some of the projects I was doing in in college in graphics, where I was kind of like making like a fake trailer for like a type um, project or something, you know, um, kind of using squeezing in sort of narrative things, just because I like messing around with cameras and um, you know editing and all that kind of thing. So, because I was doing a bit of that with my, my friends anyway, we were kind of, you know, it was, I guess people's parents had bought handy cams, little Sony things. And um, so we were shooting stuff and uh, messing around with escape videos and sketches and um, doing a bit of, you know, uh, 
what you call it like re- reality comedy you know like mm. um, gluing money to the road and then watching people try and pick it up or whatever hiding <laughs> in the bush um, so we were, doing, we were messing around doing all that kind of stuff and then um, when I finished college I got a job like so, so the, yeah I made a few kind of short they weren't really short films they were kind of like fake trailers and a kind of interactive game that was all stop motion and stuff um, and then I got a job working for Zapatron, um, which is uh, Charlie Brooker's company, mm. um, as a kind of, as a runner at first. And then I started. Um, They're making like the first mobile content for um, phones before there was kind of like they were called video phones. Mm. There was no like four uh, G or three G or whatever, so phones weren't able to access uh, content like they can now. So they were coming preloaded with videos. So they'd got some sort of contract to make a whole load of content for these, uh, for three, uh, three mobile, which mm. we call like Coaches and One Poa back then. And um, so I was supposed to be on that team of people making that stuff. And then, so we we're kind of shooting, ended up shooting stuff and editing it for them. And then I was kind of uh, doing that then instead of making tea or whatever. And, um, acting in them sometimes and (laughs) came up with a few sketches and stuff to shoot Mm. um so that was all that was kind of that was that for like two years um and we made like a lot of stuff and uh it was all super cheap like basically no budget um but it was good fun and um and while working there actually i borrowed a camera and um like a pd150 sony and shot a sketch show uh with my friends called the lovely show and um it ended up being like about 18 minutes long a kind of uh, pilot mm. um because we were big into sketch comedy at the time yeah and um and kind of absurdist sketch stuff and surrealism and um charlie brooker's screen wipe is full of that definitely if you were yeah <laughs> yeah well, i don't know if it was all that influenced by the stuff that we were doing in there i mean he was making nathan barley at the time ah uh, okay and uh i got to be in that as an extra as well which is, oh awesome which is kind of cool was the one of the hoxton kind of uh crowd no, members. actually i think i was a lamp <laughs> in, at a party <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> but, but i mean where we, like that was a big train and fast show and all that kind of stuff was on you know um so made that and it kind of you know sent that around a few places and it was too way too weird for irish tv because uh, i'd moved back to dublin at that stage um so i produced a tv show called uh wonder screen mm. um I guess I was just into short format stuff at the time. Um, sketches are kind of like short films in a way. And um, I, yeah, so my, my wife and I produced this series for TV called Wonder Screen. It was like a collection of short films and animations from all around the world, sort of packaged into uh, episodic things. And there's like 13 episodes. And um, that was cool. I saw like millions of short films from all over the world. Um and got to pick them and all that kind of stuff and license them and so i I think i was just i was like obviously at the time thinking i really want to make a short film um like one of these like that got distribution and all that kind of thing Mm. so uh i wrote three short scripts um and sent them into yeah they're called they're called screen ireland now but it was the irish film board Mm -hmm. and um they picked one of them and um i made that it was called changes 
It's about like uh, two caterpillars that are in love and then uh, they turn into chrysalises uh, beside each other. They're like, oh, see you soon. They kiss each other. And then when uh, they hatch out as butterflies, uh, the girl thinks she's just completely changed. She's turned to a bitch. <laughs> and uh, she tells the guy that he looks stupid, the wings look ridiculous on him and the colours and everything. And um, she flies off and she gets eaten by a frog. But so it was like an animated um, short film. almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a nice little, it was a nice little thing. It was, uh, it, was, it was a mixture of live action and animation um, uh, and illustrations and stuff. It was good fun. So, um, so already you're kind of dabbling in this kind of, this story mixed, mode. Which, yeah, uh, it was which very kind we, of mixed media kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. Um, out of necessity, really, because I wanted to tell the story and I didn't, I was I didn't study animation, so I kind of to learn how to animate um, that stuff. So it was a mixture. Of, there was some stop motion. There's like After Effects kind of stuff and three um, D cameras moving through space and I scanned all these drawings and separated them out into the space. So um, it was it was good fun. Um, so that was just a, a decision, like to make it an animation. Like you you never it never crossed your mind to like, well, I've filmed stuff before as sketches, so maybe I should try and make this live action. It was purely yeah, based on what that? was needed for the script. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did write the script as being <laughs> butterflies. Was already, you know. I think it would have. Uh, I guess at the time, I thought it's kind of. Uh, you know, I think filmmakers in some way need to be slightly delusional, thinking that they can make anything. You know that uh, you'll figure it out. Um, but because I studied design, I kind of knew a little bit about After Effects and all that kind you of stuff. You a bit more confidence with the animation side. Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought that it would be, um, that I'd be able to make it look good um, without having to spend a lot of money on lights and cameras. And I didn't know about any of that stuff either. Like, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't have had a clue where to begin with uh, production stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So, um it made that and then that did kind of well it was in a bunch of festivals uh, it was actually here in the bfi like years oh, wow. ago in like 2006 or something <laughs> 2007. and then um made another short film called uh defaced and then made an uh, made a bunch more short films and then you made foxes yeah so that was the first live action mm. uh short um so that was when I met Gareth Shanley, the writer I work with, mm -hmm. and um, we were trying to come up with something um, to do together. And he'd written this, uh, he has a blog, and he'd, um, he'd written this kind of first-person essay uh, called Foxes about a couple who end up trapped in this kind of weird place. And... Um, I thought it was great. I thought it would make a really good short film. So we developed it into a uh, script and submitted that. Um, I think it was also though, like at the time, the live action shorts and stuff that were getting made, they were, they were getting funded. were all very kind of kitchen sink drama kind of stuff. Mm. It's all quite, well, it wasn't stuff that I was interested in. So this is almost a subversion of that because you're taking some of those ingredients, but like just yeah, taking it to completely Yeah, but it was also a way of like, say, that's why I think also the reason I did uh, animated, animated shorts because I was able to get away with more mm. uh, and be a little bit <clears throat> more metaphorical. Um, so then with Foxes, I kind of knew we needed to get the money. We needed something that was kind of, political enough and kind of serious enough for them to think oh yeah we have to give them the money for this <laughs> but at the same time enjoyable enough for us so it kind of combines some socio-political ideas 
with um it's kind of a it's a supernatural horror mm. sure really so you're having to play a bit of a game there to make sure you you got the funding for you know the story you wanted to tell yeah yeah a little bit yeah i mean um i don't know if it was so thought out <laughs> but um it, it worked anyway uh the plan worked and uh so that was like a first kind of okay we, you know it was uh, very challenging uh, set in a very kind of strange world uh, it was live action we did uh, actors uh, dp and production designer and all that kind of stuff mm. um so it was like a five-day shoot and um it won, it won a bunch of awards and stuff like that, which then attracted agents. Um, yeah, my UK agent kind of saw it and liked it and yeah, I signed with Independent. And um, and we started working on Vivarium actually after that. Oh, wow. Um, but it took so long to, to finance because it was going to be quite expensive to make on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Um that we made without name in between. Okay, so backing up a little bit, when you were, when you were shooting Fox, was that, the, was that the first time you were stepping on set as a director, kind of working with crew and stuff? Um, I I'd started making some ads before then that were um, a mix of live action and animation. So like we had hired DP and, and lights and had mm-hmm. a few people doing helping us with stuff. Right. So you had a bit of experience with that already. A bit. Yeah, but it was definitely a kind of whoa! Look at all the people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on set. Like, all like the money, thirty-five people or something. Yeah, uh, but we had about seventy grand or something to make it. So right. uh, it was actually, you know, it was it was Pretty achievable, substantial. Yeah, um, and and I had friends that you know that um, helped me with like CGI and all that kind of stuff that mm-hmm. I knew, and I kind of knew a good bit about that stuff. But they were like really, really good at it. So um, we're able to we're able to make it, and for that sort of development and funding side of process, so how was that in terms of taking the concept with the writer and then building that into the script? Was that quite a collaborative thing, or how did you handle that with the with the writer? Do you mean the short or yeah, the short? Yeah, the um, it was an unusual one because this was almost the story was kind of there. It was um, it wasn't a script, but so. Um, I think once we decided we were going to do it, we we had to hand in a script. So we just talked about it, and we um, I guess it was the first time collaborating in that way. With oh no, it wasn't actually because we when I first met Garrett, we um, met at this thing called Catalyst Project, which is a little bit like the microwave scheme here or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's like a kind of uh, a lab where you yes, yeah, like a low yeah, exactly. And- so they were gonna they were gonna finance three films at around three hundred grand. And they had like, you know, 500 applicants or whatever. Mm. And you all had to kind of do a week long, a week of seminars and stuff, talks and producers talking about, you know, how you do low budget stuff. And a bit like eye features over here. Yeah. Okay. Eye features. Right. So um, that was in 2007, I think. Mm. Um, And we met. Uh, he posted a thing on the forum saying he was looking for a director, and I said uh, I was looking for a writer. And um, I think we, I think we had to list the kind of stuff we were into. And we we're both into kind of the same stuff. Um, it's like this is like a Lonely Hearts ad or something. <laughs> and um, we met up. Oh, I think then also coincidentally we were sitting beside each other and we were slagging whoever was talking, thinking it was ridiculous. <laughs> and then 
then we realized we're, we were the people who said we'd meet and um, we got on. But we we wrote, uh, we came up with a story for that. I had this idea about a doppelganger um, who became, it was, like, it was a story of a, a programmer, a recluse programmer. It's kind of a bit ridiculous now, but well, it could still be good. Mm. Um, who um, invent, invented a second life type world yeah. and he created a character for himself. Um, that was everything that he isn't uh, in his kind of, in Second Life because at the time Second Life was kind of a thing people were talking yeah, about. Yeah, sure. And um, and his digital self started appearing in his real life and sort of stealing his life away. Right. Um, so kind of like a Tyler Durden type. Was kind of yeah, yeah, but it was more of a comedy. Okay. Um, and the the place is called Utopia. It was before the TV show. But <laughs> these people were like uh, utopians that. So everyone had their doppelgangers, but then these doppelgangers were coming back into the real world and using USB keys to suck people up the the other version and stick them because mm-hmm. they wanted to live on in on Earth and and they wanted to escape the digital world. Anyway, it was it was a bit mental and it was way too expensive to make, but we <laughs> uh, we wrote a draft of it and handed it in. And we're shortlisted and we had an interview and stuff, but they were like, this is going to cost way more than 300 grand um, to make. And we're like, yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So then we came up with, uh, then we put in Foxes as a kind of uh, alternative. So what's it like learning that process? Because I think every filmmaker has gone through that where you you kind of maybe a bit too optimistic with what you can achieve with budget yeah. at a certain stage and then you have to learn to scale back and think like right what can i realistically achieve and when you and when you put those limitations on you kind of the results are a lot more effective yeah i don't think you ever learn you're always more <laughs> ambitious than like this ambition versus reality is just like a constant problem yeah um and you kind of have to do the best with what you've got um even though you always want more, more mm. time more money more you know bigger <laughs> everything sure um but reality then puts limitations on things and um you often problem solve based actually if you know the parameters it's good on very it was a bit trickier because the parameters kept changing um like the budget was bigger and then it got smaller and then it, we yeah. got some money from somewhere else and then somebody dropped out a week before shooting and our seven week production schedule turned into five and yeah. a half weeks and so i was gonna say i don't think i've ever seen that many studio logos on the front of a film yeah Varium. yeah i know yeah <laughs> it's quite a few yeah big time um, so that must have been we'll get into that in a bit yeah I imagine, but like so scene. so you know you're kind of like ah, okay then we've got this whole scene that was supposed to have this many setups but now i have to do the scene in like one shot mm. or two shots or whatever mm. um so it just forces you into um thinking about all that kind of stuff but, um you know there's uh there's a really good book by uh bruce block visual story okay it's like visual language book anyway it's about um visual storytelling oh, and yeah. like explaining stuff in the in a single image or yeah um so it sounds like a designer's book or it's a few designers kind yeah, of production designers kind of. into it but it's, it's about film mm. um so i always find like I, I read that i think before making foxes um and it was very handy on vivarium where you're just thinking of what you want emotionally from one picture like if it was just a photograph to be able to 
get a sense of what's going on in that picture emotionally mm-hmm. and um, what you're trying to say. So um, when you've got very little time um, for coverage, it's kind of, it's really good to be able to mm-hmm. fall back on that, you know. So you get some uh, prestige from foxes and you start developing vivarium at that yeah. stage, right? Um, so can you talk about the process of how you then switch to without name and uh, your kind of the production cycle on that? Yeah, yeah. So that was basically the next round um, of Catalyst. Mm. So like there was a big gap of years where they didn't, where the, where the, um, the funding or whatever it's called program. Yeah. Um, they did it once and then they didn't do it again for years. And then we were like working on Bavarium and it was taking forever and there's all these notes and uh, it came up again. It was like announced, oh, they're doing another round of Catalyst. And I was mm. like, right, this time, <laughs> <laughs> this time we're doing one. So um, Garrett and I have been talking about it, like because we'd been working together on other things and we end up going off on tangents and kind of creating these other projects that we'll come back to later and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, we've been thinking about... Um, a kind of a spirit entity that protects a place and it does so by by trapping somebody in it and then they're only released when they trap the next person mm-hmm. so they're like uh, centurion kind of spirits okay. of a natural habitat yeah 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 um and and I know a lot of the kind of Irish folklore around fairies and uh-huh. um, which were very kind of poetic and interesting, not like fairies with little wings like Tinkerbell or something, but more like the way that light will refract across the surface of a lake with a breeze uh-huh. is like evidence of fairies. Yeah. So it's kind of like when you see beauty in nature. It's like a phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of like, wow. like what it is that, you know, like um the canopy of of uh, a forest when you look up and it kind of moves and sways and you're like oh, it's got a kind of ethereal beautiful quality that that is like the spirit of the place which are mm. the fairy so um we very quickly had to um we we applied and we, we had to you know do the seminars again and all that kind of stuff but we had an idea um early on we'd already partnered up earlier on and mm-hmm. we, so we had the writer director producer because Brunella uh Coquilio, who um we're married now um had helped me do college projects and then my f- my first shorts and all that kind of stuff and she produced foxes and um so was ready to go and produce features as well mm-hmm. so um we applied We'd had the little bit of kind of uh, procedure, whatever, with uh, foxes. So it seemed like a good project. And we were also very conscious this time around of being realistic <laughs> with, like, um, setting something up with... We listened to the people who were talking, saying, like, don't have loads of locations. Don't have... We, we had a good few locations, but don't have a lot, a lot of cast. Mm. And, um, but you make good use of the natural environment as totally, well. Totally, yeah, yeah. Use the locations. And if you watch the trailer for Without Name, it yeah, it definitely stands up. Today it looks it looks amazing, and it's just right, that, yeah. that natural it's just beauty. Photography, yeah, mm. yeah, um, yeah. It costs nothing, really. Mm. You know, um, it's a good lesson for 
for indie filmmakers out there. Yeah, yeah, like outside. That's great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and like if you get a storm or something, that's even better. Worked for Ben Wheatley with a field in England. Field in England, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> just totally. show up. <laughs> just in a field. Um, but please get permission. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we got it anyway. Mm. We got shortlisted and interviewed and all that kind of stuff. And um, so we were one of three uh, teams that made a uh, film. We had to shoot before the before spring before so that i wanted as old kind of thing about dendritic fractals and light you know the kind of repetition of uh the fractal pattern in nature and lightning and the roots of trees mm -hmm. and um and mushroom rooms and all that kind of stuff so um we had to shoot before the first buds appeared on the trees because we wanted them bare so we had to do it all really quickly. So we wrote the, Garrett wrote the screenplay uh, first draft really quickly and it was a bit too big, it was a little bit too mental. But that's always the way with first draft. It's like, mm -hmm. know, everything's on everything, the page. Everything's yeah. there. Uh, so we paired it back and um, we, we, yeah, sorry, we just set a date and just said we're going to stick with the date no matter what. Because it's always like, um, well, I guess if you've got big casts, there's nothing you can really do because, <laughs> you know, a lot of the time the financing will be based on who you have in it. But with this, we didn't have any of those concerns. We were just being given all the money. Mm -hmm. um, so we set a date and we started casting and we uh, we shot it in four weeks and it was 21 days of actual shooting. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was no special effects. I basically said in, in the application there'd be no special effects apart from stuff that I can do myself on the computer, which uh, I had to do, which is, <laughs> which is painful, <laughs> way too many. <laughs> um, painting out stuff, really boring stuff. Um, and okay, I got a couple of people to help me. But um, <laughs> then, then, yeah, I premiered at Toronto. Mm. Um, in the Vanguard section, and um, you say that really casually, just kind of like, how did you? <laughs> right. What was the submission process of that like? Oh right, yeah. So um, um, after Foxes, we kind of had a few kind of conversations with um with people. There's a company called XYZ Films in the mm -hmm. US, and I think they had seen my short, probably at a festival or something like that because they're into genre things anyway. Mm -hmm. And they uh, had heard, they'd seen like the kind of press the announcement or whatever about these three films getting made. And obviously without names sounded like something kind of spooky and interesting. So um, there, one of the guys there, Todd Brown, got in touch and, and um, wanted to read the scripts. And he's, you know, said we could be your uh, North American sales agents if, if you want. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, that'd be cool. So then they kind of helped with the submission process because normally speaking to TIFF and yeah. Yeah, all that kind of thing. So they all know each other because they spend all their time just going around festivals. Sure. And there's festivals you would I didn't know about, you know. I yeah. wouldn't know what category in whatever festivals. Yeah. Um, so that's what's really handy to have good sales agents on your side, I guess. Yeah, totally. I didn't even know what a sales agent was. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure it out, really. Um, but they... So they, they said they'd help anyway. So that was cool. So um, we I think we did a few submissions that we didn't get into. I think, yeah, it was, we didn't get into Cypress Out West, um, even though I'd premiered Foxes there, which was, uh, so I was like, oh, right. That's not very nice. <laughs> um, and then, um, I think there was a, good, a lot of good good kind of horror films that year. Yeah. Um, and 
then we had to wait until September. We, I think we had heard that we were getting in, but we had to wait about like three months or something. Um, so yeah, it was cool. Uh, we premiered there and it um, got good reviews and all that. You know, it wasn't uh, a blockbuster or anything because it's still a kind of uh, weird uh, uh, genre film that's slightly abstract and arty, but um, it didn't have any really famous actors or anything yeah so yeah and what are your influences for things like that because obviously you you talked about the the writing process but are you coming up with the visual kind of ideas at that at the same time what's your kind of process for that you, obviously you're you've got a graphic design background do you yeah. do kind of lots of storyboards do you do you how do you kind of create that visual side of it yeah, so um, I mean, like Garrett is the writer, so he he writes um, and he, he has you know, he describes things sometimes where you go, oh, "Fuck, we can do that," like you know, thinking without name or something like uh, a cathedral of light or something like that, and you're like, right. <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, thanks, Garrett. How yeah. am I going to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but. Yeah, like a, a visual challenge. Um, we, yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, I storyboarded um, without all over that name, um, based on the locations to try and find. First of all, try and find the locations because mm. so you work especially off the locations. Yeah, especially somewhere. It was the same with with foxes because it was location like was really important to it. Um, and then you go out and take photos and then you use those yeah, as the yeah. drop basis. Um, take pictures and figure it out based on the script where everything could be and maybe change the script based on something you found that could work. And is that just for the locations or do you take people out to do the blocking there like to, as, as a kind of previous um, version of that? Or? I mean, if you had it, if you had the, that'd be a bit of a luxury to have the actors <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I Not mean, necessarily actors, but... Um, you yeah, know. yeah, well, yeah, I brought my brother, my brother when I, we did some tests. <laughs> I put him in like a uh, Zentai jumpsuit you know the full uh morph, the suit. morph suit um and it's kind of luminous green and the forest we shot them it's kind of grayish to see if we could like pull a key from it and create this kind of void of blackness for mm. the this kind of shadow figure that appears there and um he ran around the place and just kept falling over because he couldn't see anything <laughs> crashing into trees and stuff um um, so it didn't work anyway we ended up uh, using felt because it has no reflections but um, yeah um, on both of those things and maybe that's also because of um, design background and then going into animation where you have to create the environment for the story to take place within especially yeah. if it's a strange story so um, so you're very much used to having to create the world and create world the world first totally and, yeah, and yeah. then create the action that's going on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um Foxes was a location that had to be very specific, and then um, without name, it was a very specific type of location as well, and um, that was had a very atmospheric kind of uh, place. Mm. And then on Vivarium, it was a place that we could, it didn't exist, so we had to make it entirely yeah. a bit more like going back to making, you know, doing something animated. Um, so we had to bit. I did look at a lot of locations, um, but none of them were right. Really, it just it would need too much work you need to close it off and you, you like in the script um it said you know there's no there's no wind there's no rain the the clouds are all the same the sun kind of hangs and looks uh, a bit fake it's always kind of low yeah it's quite twilighty and um it i think we referenced uh 
Empire of Light by René Magritte, uh-huh. uh, the painting. Um, so there's very sp- specific look for the place they're trying to achieve. And the only real way to do that was to um, build a set. And of course, we started out with a plan to build a set of about like 16 houses or something, um, which ended up being three. Yeah. Um, like a three facades, gardens, walls, footpath, road, and then using shooting into that for all the kind of medium sized stuff. Um, and flipping the lights, flipping the car and all that kind of stuff when we're shooting reverses. Um, and then shooting plates of that uh, set to extend it left and right and then LiDAR scanning the set to build CG uh, for the extensions. And um, there's also a lot of 2D map paintings. Mm-hmm. For, um, was, yeah, so it was quite a technical uh, challenge of a of a shoot but, but if you had a location it would have been a lot easier of course you could just point the camera anywhere yeah um but we had a lot of yeah a lot of restrictions so it did need a lot of planning in terms of um storyboarding and um kind of visual research aesthetics um color palettes like i normally do up for like everything it's do up like a palette of colors mm-hmm. um i can tell it's a very designed kind of movie right yeah very, yeah so yeah, yeah that doesn't surprise me Welcome to Yonder, a wonderful development. It has all you'd need and all you'd want. Number nine. Number nine is not a starter home. This house is forever. Leave for a boy. Do you have children? No. It's not exactly what we're looking for. That guy was so strange. Yeah. Wait, no, no, I don't think this is the right way. Yeah, this is the way we came in. Number nine again. Did we just do some kind of loop? How have we just... Want me to drive? Such a jerk. Because I think this is not possible. We can't make turns like this over and over. We have gone this way, Tom. Oh my God. Hello? Hello? What's happening? Maybe they'll let us go. supposed to do? Should we just sit here and we wait to die? It's a boy. So moving into the kind of visual design of Vivarium, mm. what, at what point did that process start where you kind of, you knew it was, uh, the funding was definitely going to be there? Well, I had to do a lot of that to get the funding. Okay. So um, I had to make like a lookbook, mm-hmm. which 
I basically thought of because it, you read the script and you're like, yeah, okay, like and a few people did, a lot of people did when we first sent it out to be, to be read. They were like, it's too weird and it's too expensive because <laughs> it just seems impossible. Um, yeah. Uh, the scenes, you know, it's just the, you know, how it's do you too do fantastical. That? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I basically wrote like paragraphs and stuff with, uh, for every kind of question that you could, someone would ask you. You know, how are you going to do that? So I wrote a thing explaining how I was going to do it, and I'd have visual references of the kind of look of that, and if it was technical, I'd explain the technical um, way that you solve that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so made quite a quite a like a reassurances document in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was quite a slick document. Always good to try um, and get finances on board. Yeah, yeah it was good. Yeah, basically everything's there. Um, so it didn't have to explain too much. And then also made this, well, that we got some development from Film 4. Um, and they, so I, I think I did like a smallish book and the script. Um, so, so how do you, so just going back to that booklet process, how do you balance the... Uh, containing enough of that sort of reassurance information with not making it too weighty a document that, you know, people who are reading it through are going to go, uh, I'm getting bored of this. I'm yeah, not well, this. I mean, I think I've learned how to do that maybe from um, uh, pitching and directing TV commercials mm-hmm. where you write a treatment. Yeah. Um, so you just try and be concise and just say what you want to say in a, in a small paragraph. And also have a beautifully designed graphic designer. Um, so it looks like something you want to look at. Yeah. Like we basically made a, a few copies of of the finished one. Um, we hard bound and made it like a coffee table book. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if that was a good idea or not, because most people just wanted a PDF. <laughs> it's probably a nice finish though, to be when emailed. you've got people in person. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So um, how long was this actual booklet? How many pages? Um, it was probably about like... Could have been like 50 pages or something, okay. maybe. Yeah. Um, so it'd have to be people who are serious about funding it. Would, yeah, would but it's not like a 50-page book that you have to yeah. read. It's, you kind of flick through it and like some pages didn't have any text Very at sparse all. sparse and yeah. Um, That's where, again, your design explanation. skills come into play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was... Um, so Film 4 um, gave us some money then to... I mean, to do like a, a test, like a proof of concept type thing. Um, so made like a... A full, a full kind of environment test, uh-huh. uh, fully CG with a camera kind of going through the place right. and put in the sky the way I kind of wanted it and uh, the houses and the color of them and all that kind of stuff um, so that we could show that it was possible Yeah, um, that it wasn't going to look shit. Yeah. And um, it, the design ended up changing a bit for the better, I think, uh, you know, less CG-ish and all that kind of stuff. But um, so we had that test, um, a kind of set, a, a little kind of set thing where like I had a, a you know, CG showing the, the three or like, you know, parts of, you know, this is set. This is CG. Yeah, a test in, to show this how is what we're going to build how and this is what we're going to yeah. uh, add on and post and the action would take place here kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and to show that the compositing would work perfectly with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- this one was more like, so there was the, the, the environment test that was kind of like almost photoreal. And then this other thing was just like blocks saying mm-hmm. like the blue blocks are set, the green blocks right, are so more the just effects. A, a blueprint, yeah. Just for people to go like, oh, right, okay, got it, you know. Um, 
so we had those two videos that um, made like private link on Vimeo or something and the book and the script and that's kind of what went out then mm-hmm. to um, the various people yeah so by this point you'd already had without name coming out was there sort of any uh, prestige from that that you were able to sort of leverage yeah yeah this? I mean you know it's like oh this filmmaker he's, he's uh, his short film was in Tribeca and Save Us Out West and uh, London and blah, blah, blah. And, and at Toronto. his new film is the primary in Toronto. Mm. And, and, you know, it's all that kind of creating a bit of a buzz about yeah. new talent and all that kind of thing. Because everyone wants to be working with, you know, whatever is groovy. <laughs> but these were applications you were sort of making, you know, here in the UK. That were film for the first people to come on board with that funding. Or yeah. They, yeah. So they, uh, well, there's, first of all, the Screen Ireland. Um, yeah paid for the development mm-hmm. of the screenplay. So like we, the very first process was writing an application for script development, mm-hmm. which we got, it's like 15 grand or 16 grand or something like that to write like first draft uh, script development thing. And but that was like, still whilst you were making without name or? Um, yeah, probably was. Yeah, yeah. So you were kind of making these two features of concurrently. Yeah, we always. I mean, we were working on another three. <laughs> <laughs> it's the life um, of a filmmaker. We were, yeah, totally. Yeah, you're yeah. kind of like three steps ahead. Fantastic. So, um, tell me a bit about the funding process for Varium and the kind of different hoops you've had to jump through for that. So, I mean, the producers did that really. You know. Um, I didn't even really know what they were doing a lot of the time. Um, like there was co- there's a co-production market in um, in I think it's in both Canada and uh, Belgium called Frontiers mm-hmm. um, that they put the project into. Yeah, um, and it was selected like co-production market. So then the uh, Danish and Belgian co-producers came on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fracas, who made Raw, yeah. Raw. Yeah, uh, yeah, so they came on Good from the Belgian side. Um, it, you know, with this kind of uh, there's like the soft funding approach to making films, and the Euro kind of co-production model is getting a little bit of free money from all these different pots subsidies yeah and then shooting in countries with uh low really tax high, credits yeah, yeah exactly uh, you get like 40 percent high tax relief and, yeah and uh, so that's why belgium is so popular really mm-hmm. um i mean the people are lovely of course but uh, <laughs> it's a tax breaks. um and so they so we got the the ping pong films from denmark came on and um fracas from belgium and then because we had an Irish, Belgian, Danish, because he had three European um, countries qualified for Euromage, right. which is another pot. Okay. So in Belgium, we got Wallomage, which is in the, the Wallonia region. Yeah. It's like regional funding for there, which was good, so I suppose. Um, and in Denmark, we got the Copenhagen Film Fund and some money from um, the Danish Film Institute. Yeah. And in Ireland, gave us the most um, was Screen Ireland. Yeah. So then uh, Euromage came in for a chunk as well. Um, and I think that was it. And then the, the XYZ were selling it. Uh, we're going to do sales on US, it because uh, I already actually. had a relationship with them and they'd mm-hmm. read it. And, yeah. You know, so um, 
they pre-sold to certain territories like uh, I think Germany and France yeah. and places like that to so there's the, the pre-sales also went into the budget mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that's pretty much it and then over here is, is it Vertigo handling the UK release or yeah. Vertigo yes yeah over there <laughs> <laughs> fantastic um, yeah they they came they uh, they bought it uh, at, at, like at Cannes or after Cannes or something mm. like that mm. so and how much do you, did you find you had to be clued in on all of that stuff to decide with the funding or how much was it you working with other collaborators and key key collaborators um, both because I, I just like to know what's going on mm-hmm. um, in general it's it's interesting as well how these things yeah g- get made. So um, I really didn't have a clue, you know, because <laughs> we only with eight name. It was just very simple. It was like here's money. Um, we'll see you when you finish the film, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um, this was much trickier. Um, but there were they they weren't. There's nobody annoying us about changing things. Yeah, which is good. Um, script wise. No one trying to censor the film. No, but the, but the casting, like there was a whole new thing with when it came to casting that I didn't realize about the you know actor valuation and all yeah. that kind of stuff. That like you you'd have a list of actors you like, and they'd be like, no, 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 maybe, no, no, yeah, yes, no, no, and it's like, oh, that list different, suddenly got very short because different actors are worth different sort of values in different territories. Yeah, 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 and they have the same thing of like. Hype people hyping them up like oh they're in a movie that's about to come out and it's uh, gonna be you know it's gonna be in Cannes and mm. they're gonna be so hot and then it comes out and it's not good and do you know what I mean and yeah but they're all trying to play off hype so um so that was all uh eye opener so how did you come to casting Jesse and, and Imogen um so Jesse or Imogen I was it was always kind of like get Gemma first and then we'll we'll go from there mm-hmm. um. So her, it was kind of lucky in a, in a way. I'd signed with WME in the US for yeah, representation. Yeah. yeah. Um, at Toronto after without name. Um, and I had sort of two agents working with me there. Um, and one of them left um, just when we were, were casting. Like she was helping me cast uh, Vivarium, sending ideas and that kind of thing. But then... I heard that she bailed and she'd gone to um, she'd gone to CAA, mm-hmm. the enemy for uh, the, you know those two <laughs> yeah uh, rival agencies yeah. So um, I was like, oh, okay. So then I got emailed her over there. I was like, so who got CAA then? So you kind of had so a foot in double each agents. Camp. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Uh, so she shared the script then because the, people are also very competitive. You know, they, they want their clients to ha- to be getting the best stuff. So there was a bit of buzz about the script because it was unusual and it was a good, really good female uh, lead role as yeah. well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Imogen's agent had read it and thought it was cool. And um, I think he called me like typical Americans they ring you like at one in the morning <laughs> thinking like, hey, but I'm on LA time. Um, <laughs> And we set up a meeting anyway um, in London and I met her and we got on really well. We, had, we just talked about art and uh, books and photography and all that kind of stuff for, I don't know, a couple of hours. Um, not really talking about the script yeah. so much. And um, 
then I offered her the part because, you know, we, she wanted to check out that I wasn't crazy or something. And, <laughs> of um, you know, that's, that's kind of why they want to meet. <laughs> just make sure that you're not going to be too weird. Um, yeah. Just weird enough. <laughs> and uh, she, and she'd seen my short film as well, uh, yeah. Foxes, and she liked it. And so um, she came on board um, and then I met up with her a couple of weeks later and we started talking about who we'd cast as the guy. Mm-hmm. Um and she suggested Jesse, and I was like, you know, I, I was kind of just not trying not to think too much about who the guy would be because it would have to be based off who the girl would be yeah. first in terms of the side, you know, the, how they'd fit together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, God, Jesse Eisenberg, that's, that's really interesting. So I quickly called the producers um, because everyone, you know, there's a whole kind of sign-off process, you know, where um, the sales company have to say yes and the financiers have to say yes and um, to the cast before you can put in official kind of offers before it gets contract and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, I quickly called them and said, Jesse Eisenberg, I presume he totally works. And they were like, yes, he totally works. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so I went back in to Imogen and said, yes, let's do it. So she literally fired off the um, scripts on her phone to Jesse right because they knew each other okay and um, he read it in like uh, only a couple of days he got back saying he really liked it and wanted to meet yeah he's famously very diligent isn't he right yeah yeah Um, and so we met in New York and he yeah we got on really well he he kind of he reads a lot of scripts and he thinks most of them are terrible Um, of course and he'd seen um, he kind of had seen bad versions of something like Vivarium but they're all like really on the nose and uh, less abstract and stuff or um, metaphorical or um, allegorical yeah and so he loved it and um, wanted to do it and fantastic we did it Yeah. yeah that's great and then you talked more about you talked a bit about the visual design obviously the film has a really uh, specific kind of sense of color and mm. um, framing and stuff, and yeah, was that was that sort of with you from the start? This kind of you know you knew that you wanted everything to be this kind of eerie green, pale green color. <laughs> um, I heard yeah, pe- I mean, people right. coming out of the screening. I heard saying, "I never want to see the color green." Again. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm interested in color theory and the effects of color. Um, uh, like psychological effects of color on people mm. in cinema and all that kind of thing because it's not just a health because green is i quite like the color green it, yeah the healthy it can be a very healthy yeah, color exactly but this is not this is a sickly green yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah. kind of Slightly that weird energy. lichen colored green yeah, yeah. and i mean it, i think like in nature you see green it's like verdant and it kind of mm. makes you feel like ah like chlorophyll things yeah. are good um but when you remove nature entirely Mm. Um, and shift the hue a little bit um, it can it's also the color of like poison yeah. uh, it has a very kind of toxic quality to it um, a little bit like the Wizard of, uh, of Oz as well with the and actually that was kind of uh, in my mind I think a little bit with the the yellow the clay yellow, yeah. in the uh, in the garden yeah uh, and the green um, <laughs> but yeah so I, te- I mean when I did that CG environment tests. Yeah. I was playing around with the colors um, before doing it, and um, yeah, I kind of just really liked the that tone of green because it 
well, one, it's kind of sickly and it's kind of the color of like a corpse or like toxic mm. waste or poison or something. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it kind of is chirpy in in a kind of wrong way. Yeah. You know, when you look at it, it's not like you're, I didn't want it to be all gloomy, you know, or gray or something like most horror films, but to be presented as being uh, chirpy and nice, but the reality being horrible, a little bit like the way, like thematically, the way these places are sold to you. Um, they try and make it as friendly and nice as possible, but then the reality is pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, and then also the way the light bounces from that color onto um, the actor's skin creates this kind of slightly sickly skin tone. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Of course, that's why they use green for green screens because it's like the most removed from human skin. So yeah, it's kind yeah, of an yeah, interesting yeah, point yeah. there as well. Yeah. So getting into like the themes of the film, um, obviously it's got that great kind of social, slightly satirical edge. It kind of reminded me of like a J.G. Ballard book, mm. like The Concrete Island or High Rise or yeah, one of these yeah, books yeah. where it's satire and kind of social urban ar- architecture and stuff like that, yeah. where you get these sprawls of identical houses that look mm. the same, especially with these new builds. Yeah. Um, but then obviously it's not just that you kind of then throughout the film um it it sort of starts to uh really get underneath the character's skin and you kind of they start to sort of it starts to actually change them um yeah and their roles that they've sort of set out for themselves yeah 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 the the environment sort of has so an that- impact on their on them psychologically and yeah. their relationship and everything yeah so was that like uh always part of the approach for this film or yeah it? i mean it was in the scripts mm-hmm. um that you know at the beginning you know getting them in there was always uh quite tricky even technical from a technical point of view um getting them in there and stuck there yeah uh, and then the middle is always about the relationship you know yeah yeah because yeah. it happens quite quickly like I, I yeah. was, when i was going i was expecting it to be much more drawn out but you actually you find that you know they're in and they they quickly realize they're stuck and then yeah the rest of the yeah, film takes yeah. Place i think in we also kind of learned that about just getting into because i think on without name we, sh- we shot like additional stuff and ended up chopping it out um you know you just want to get into the story yeah so that's something you'd learn from your from your first feature i guess where yeah you, yeah you know, just trying what's necessary and what isn't necessary yeah um and we ended like before shooting we took out about 50 I think it was like 54 scenes or something from Vivarium. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Like literally the week before shooting. Wow. <laughs> because the schedule changed. Yeah. And um, there were, you know, small scenes, you know, in a script, it might be like uh, someone's in the garden and then they, it says exterior garden, then interior hall, then interior staircase. And they walk in and sit down on interior bedroom. Yeah. And that requires four camera setups whereas you could just go have them walk out in the in in the garden walk towards the front door and then walk into the bedroom door <laughs> yeah you know and sit down and you've lost two scenes so it was, it, was, it was things like that throughout the film just like chop 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 um and when you have these changes happening um on a, something you've worked on for you know several years um mm. how do you kind of stay dedicated in, in that kind of situation and like stay kind of fixed and focused. Yeah. Um, 
that's the uh, without getting too precious about like oh it's ruined now whatever you know yeah you just have to yeah try your best (laughs) (laughs) blinkers on um yeah that was the delusional kind of thing i was saying as well (laughs) you have to keep on believing that it's gonna be okay (laughs) yeah Uh, but also i think trust in the process that like you know films are are so um there's such a a process to them Mm. with the pre-production planning the shooting all the nightmares that happen and then the, the edit where you're kind of remaking the whole thing yeah um again so it all kind of the film will will be something at the end of it. See, <laughs> 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 so trust that it'll. Um, and I, I think in some ways, when you're making a film, it uh, it kind of reveals itself to you because mm-hmm. you you imagine things in a much more abstract, intangible sort of way. But, but then, as you get people involved and you're shooting it, it kind of starts forming. Yeah, we're also edited um, both without name and vivarium while shooting right so we're able to sort of see okay it, it scenes so was that together sort of in the evenings of each shoot or the weekends How, what was well, the, the editor the rushes were getting sent like i was we shot all the exteriors in belgium and all the interiors in ireland mm-hmm. so while shooting the rushes were being sent back on drives uh, yeah. to the editor who was back in dublin just doing assemblies and the actual the set of yonder itself is that is that an exterior set? Like outside the houses in the street, is that an exterior or interior set? Interior. Right, okay. An exterior built interior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a warehouse in Belgium. So it's fully Truman Show then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I want all the light to be very artificial as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um... No, well, it definitely succeeds in that. It gives right, you that thanks. kind of claustrophobic feeling. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Any sort of advice for... Um, maybe filmmakers who are at that point where say they've made a short and they want to jump to a feature. Yes, they're going to do it. I think a lot of people, um, I mean, maybe it's for good or bad. I don't really know, but like, I think a lot of people have such high self-regard or something that they are afraid to go and make uh, their first film in case it turns out to not be not that good. Mm. Um, and that can kind of stifle them in a way or that they think it needs to be a really big film and they need loads of money for it. So they can't do a smaller film that they only like doing films. It's going to cost like 20 million or something like that. Yeah. Um, I know a good few people like that. Um, and it holds them back for so long. But like, I think it's just go make it and then make another one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if you're a filmmaker, you know, just try to make films um, and don't worry about it too much because we're all going to be dead soon anyway. <laughs> That's a truly vivarium like outlook. Look <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> thank you so much. Where where can people follow you online or can they? Oh yeah, um it's Lorkin Finnegan, all one word, um, on Instagram and Twitter and Vimeo and stuff like that. Fantastic. And anything else you're working on? You, you mentioned you're working on three other things yeah, at the moment. Um uh, a new project called Nocebo, which is I think the new draft is is, is reading it. Uh, like two days ago is uh i think it's pretty much ready um awesome it's about uh isn't that similar to genre yeah it's supernatural revenge thriller about uh fast fashion and the um exploitation of the of the east by the west Mm. um with a fashion designer and a filipino uh witch wow sounds great (laughs) can't wait for that and some spontaneous combustion and then another one called um 
Goliath, which is sort of dystopian, um, near future, dark fable. It's like a reimagining of the David and Goliath story. But it's mm. about um, it's about creating monsters to start wars and steal natural resources. Yeah, amazing. So, uh, are you sending your your CV to Jordan Peele for the new Twilight Zone? Show right. Or? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I actually haven't seen any of the new ones yet. I've heard um, I've heard mixed reports. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't mind. Yeah. Guest great. director. I could see that. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining yeah, us. Pleasure. Yeah. No worries. So that was. Lorcan Finnegan, wow, it. one episode. Um, <laughs> I haven't listened to it yet, obviously, because we're still recording the intro. <laughs> intro. Yeah, I'm talking um, to the audience, but... guys. Come on. Oh, talk to the oh, listeners. Surprise. Um, but Robbie, is it a great episode? Yeah, it's a great episode. I think uh, it's a bit more maybe <laughs> analytical. Um, we go, you know. Uh, <laughs> some of the questions I like to ask are kind of uh, about like director's style and um, you know mm. how that style is consistent across different films so I, I don't know hopefully you guys found that helpful um, if not don't send angry comments please but uh, <laughs> never, yeah never um, but yeah he's a, as you Especially can when we do this from free, the interview he's not. a very he's a very kind of relaxed um, sedate kind of guy and um yeah, hopefully uh, you enjoyed some of the pearls of wisdom that you had to offer. I hope so too. Do leave um, reviews for us on iTunes if you like this episode. Mm. And there is so many um, episodes that you can listen to a huge back catalogue. Yeah, of, I mean, we uh, were podcasts. joking about Mark Strong earlier, but there is a Mark Strong episode. <laughs> there really is. And it's fantastic. It's episode 19. Just search uh, Mark Strong's name and the Filmmakers Podcast and you will find it. Other actors out there, they fancy a bit of Scott Adkins talking about action films and mm -hmm. working with directors or Timothy Spore. The list goes on. Plus, we have so many producers, indie filmmakers, Oscar winners. Uh, it's just, yeah, if you, you want to help raise money, we've got people doing talking about that, um, directing, how they work with talent or kids or animals. It's just, the list goes on. And this is episode 100. 156. So you can imagine there's hours and hours and hours for you while you're in containment, while you're not allowed out. You you can listen to podcasts. Yeah, it's all good Why motivational Absolutely. fuel for you, for you and your creative endeavours. I like that. Motivational fuel for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That is good. It's the ad copy. Uh, and also do... <laughs> yeah, there it is, the ad copy. And do remember uh, the Make Your Film uh, online event. Uh, click the link. Do join us on Monday the 6th. It's going to be brilliant. I mean, hey, we've not done it before, so it might fuck up. But uh, the, the guests no, are it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Finn Glynn, Jack Binder, and Colin Gowdy. What more do you want? Uh, and do uh, go watch The Dare and Serial Killer's Guide to Life. And go on Robbie's website, robbymccain.com, <laughs> and check out our stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Giles. <laughs> Why not? Uh, pleasure. Thank you for listening. Do leave us a nice review uh, wherever you are. And remember, you can make your indie film, but know who your audience is and get out there and do it. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, you got to send that elevator back down, Giles. 
You certainly do, Robbie. <laughs> uh, we sound like cheesy DJs right now. <laughs> cheesy DJs. Yeah. Um, okay, until next Tuesday, where I think I might put up uh, the Make a Film event as a podcast. Uh, if not, that will go up the week after. Um, we do have Alex Ferrari coming up, where he's giving away copies of his book, Film Entrepreneur, which is brilliant, by the way. It's exactly nice. what you need right now. And we also have Bernard Pulcher coming up. Uh, Bernard Pulcher coming up as well and uh, some other amazing guests lined up so exciting so exciting fantastic but until then Robbie stay safe and stay motivated everyone please do um, until next time take care bye bye bye